The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get our program started today, I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet from outposts all around the world. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, the 37th governor of California, Gray Davis, will be joining us to talk about his experience facing one of the worst financial crises in California history. What can our leaders do to get American cities, counties, states, and the federal government back on the road to fiscal health? There are few modern politicians who have experienced record surpluses, followed by devastating deficits in the way Davis did, and as a result, few who can speak from real-life experience rather than economic theory or political rhetoric. But before Mr. Davis shares lessons learned from his experience overseeing an economy that rivals many countries, let me tell you a little about his background. Joseph Graham Davis was born in New York City, the oldest of five children. When Davis was 12, the family moved to California, where Davis attended both public and private schools. He earned his undergraduate degree in history from Stanford University and his law degree from Columbia Law School. Upon graduating from Columbia, Davis entered the United States Army, where he served in Vietnam during the height of the conflict. He returned to the U.S. as a captain and is a recipient of the Bronze Star. The experience Davis had in Vietnam had a tremendous impact on his desire to participate in forging public policy. A year after he returned from war, he found himself working for John Tunney's bid for Senate, followed by Tom Bradley's campaign to become the first black mayor of Los Angeles, and then later acting as chief of staff to Governor Jerry Brown. By 1983, Davis was ready to step out on his own and was elected assemblyman for the 43rd District of California. In 86, he became California's state comptroller, a position he served for eight years. Four years later, Davis was elected the governor of California. As governor, his passion for education and fiscal experience were popular among voters who were witnessing a dot-com boom and record surpluses in state coffers. Davis wasted no time putting those surpluses to work in education, launching the largest transportation initiative in the state's history, and obtaining health care for over one million uninsured children. And then came the dot-com bust and energy crisis and record deficits as California scrambled to respond to pricing manipulation by Enron, loss of jobs, and long-term obligations which exceeded tax revenues. Regrettably, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's prosecution of Enron and other conspirators did not come soon enough. Davis was recalled as governor and Arnold Schwarzenegger stepped in, vowing to turn the downward spiral around. But that was not to be. Eight years later, Schwarzenegger handed a deficit of $25 billion to Governor Jerry Brown. Today, Mr. Davis is counsel to the law offices of Loeb and Loeb in Los Angeles and a senior fellow at the UCLA School of Public Affairs. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report former Governor of California, Mr. Gray Davis. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Davis. My pleasure. Now, there are a lot of topics we're going to cover today from energy to education, but I, I thought we should open our conversation by setting some of the records straight. Um, I, I still feel there's some misperception out there. California went from boom to bust during your tenure, owing to two crises which no one could have foreseen, the sudden dot-com collapse and also energy shortages and price manipulations. Um, looking back at your predecessor's inability to cure the deficit, do you feel vindicated at this point? Look, I'm glad California is getting back on track. I'm delighted the work Terry Brown has done now. 
you know, we fought the good fight when I was there. Um, every governor has to deal with things that come out of the blue. Uh, uh, and I'm proud that notwithstanding that, we were able to um, uh, do some substantial things to uh, minimize the energy crisis. For example, using my emergency powers, we built 38 power plants, not just built them, but licensed them all in three years. That generally takes three decades, not three years. It was more than the previous five governors did uh, combined. So that helped secure uh, uh, California's energy future going forward. We also proved what conservation could do to reduce demand, increased uh, uh, the incentives of people to use less through our 2020 program. If they reduce their usage by 20%, we'd reduce their bill another 20% on top of that. So a lot of good things happened, but I'm happy that uh, uh, Governor Brown, 10 years later, has been able to right the ship. Yes, but based on the evidence that came to light, it really appears your recall was foolishness. I mean, even one of the primary actors in that recall, Ted Costa, has now publicly stated that California would have been better off had you remained in office. So how, how do you respond to that? <laughs> where, where <laughs> I mean, Ted Costa has done a reversal. Where was I when I need, Where was he when I needed him? Um, look. The recall is an experiment. It's been tried with every governor. Generally, it's failed. A lot of forces uh, came together uh, to cause me to lose what was essentially a third election for governor. I was elected. I was reelected. Nine months later, uh, I was criticized for the very same things I was criticized during my reelection campaign. So nothing, nothing had happened uh, post uh, my uh, reelection in 2002. But they just kept using the same arguments this time. They worked because they had Arnold Schwarzenegger a very popular figure at that time. In any event, um, I now get to play the role of senior statesman, uh, teaching at UCLA and USC, practicing law, joining a lot of uh, nonprofit groups. I, I chair one with former governors, Dick Machen and Wilson. Uh, so now I get to, um, when I make a speech now, if people don't like it, hey, it's not my problem. <laughs> well, there's a certain freedom in being a private citizen, that's for sure. You uh, got that right. In, in hindsight, you know, it, it's clear that uh, there was mass manipulation in the energy market. And as a governor, you were in many ways backed into a corner um, and, and you had to act. Uh, and as you say, uh, putting 38 power plants uh, online, uh, that 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 is a massive achievement in the state of California. Um, as you look at our state's energy policy today, uh, do you feel satisfied with the measures that have been taken? Uh, we're obviously better off uh, since the energy crisis, but uh, frankly, we've not fundamentally changed the law that uh, I inherited from my predecessor uh, that created the problem. The law said uh, in 1996, I was elected in 1998, that uh, the utilities should sell half of their power plants to somebody else. That somebody else turned out to be the energy companies, the Enrons, Dynergies, Reliance of the World. And then those energy companies uh, should sell them back to uh, the utilities. Well, the law didn't require the energy companies to sell them back to utilities. Uh, so they could not sell them, sell them to other states, uh, and they ended up selling them back uh, for prices that were like 1,000 or 2,000 times more what power used to cost. The big flaw was the, this deregulation law prohibited the Public Utilities Commission from regulating the behavior of these energy companies. They could regulate the utilities who kept half their uh, power plants, but not the energy companies. So the only people who could give us relief were at the federal level. They were all appointed by Governor Bush, I mean, President Bush. Mm -hmm. While he was very nice to me personally, we couldn't get any relief from the Federal Energy uh, Commission. So it was really extraordinarily difficult uh, problem to uh, cure. And um, uh, But to make the point clear, the videotapes of Enron traders made it very apparent they were purposely shutting down plants and shutting down those plants caused massive traffic accidents, computers went down, all kinds of chaos in California, and they knew what they were doing and they were caught red-handed. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, they were caught red-handed, uh, but I think earlier you were saying that law has not changed. That's correct. Yeah, so and so we're, we're still vulnerable to that kind of behavior, uh, as right. I understand it. Right. Conceptually, if we were foolish enough to go down the same road again, uh, yes, we, the same problem would reoccur because we don't have the power 
the Public Utilities Commission that is appointed by the government does not have the power to force an energy company to sell the power back to the utilities. In other words, they could sell it to Arizona, Nevada, uh, New Mexico, someplace else. They don't have to sell it to California. Mm-hmm. That has to be Now taken. we have to take a short break. We'll be right back with more from Gray Davis. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's RebeccaCosta.com and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Bolster up those business cards. The Pajaro Valley Chamber of Commerce and Agriculture is hosting the 2014 Business Expo. Join us for food, fun, good conversation, and great networking opportunities. The Business Expo will be held at the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds on Thursday, April 24th, and we're whooping it up in the Harvest Building from 4 to 7.30 p.m. Local businesses will be on display, and it's up to you to decide which business is the cream of the crop. That's right, attendees will vote for the best decorated booth indulge in blackout bingo and sample the delicious fare our local eateries have prepared in your honor. We'll see you at the Harvest Building at 2601 East Lake Avenue in Watsonville. That's Thursday, April 24th. We're celebrating local businesses and their patrons. Once again, the Pajaro Valley Chamber of Commerce is hosting you on Thursday, April 24th from 4 to 7.30 p.m. It's the 2014 Business Expo. And did I mention it's free? See you there. Shirtcrafter, your one-stop print shop, has been locally owned and operated in Santa Cruz for a decade, providing custom design services to help you build your brand. Shirtcrafter provides top-of-the-line custom screen printing, digital printing, embroidery, stickers, banners, business cards, and so much more. They carry top quality brands of gear from t-shirts and polos to sweatshirts and ball caps. Whether you're outfitting your softball team or team building for your business, Shirtcrafter has it all. So build your brand with Shirtcrafter, located at 111 Ingalls Street in Santa Cruz, or go to www.shirtcrafter.com. Or you could give them a call at 831-423-0537. That's Shirtcrafter, 831-423-0537.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Governor of California, Gray Davis. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that the law, which requires that half the power plants in the state be sold to other companies, uh, but does not require those companies to either keep those plants operating or sell that power back to California, has not yet been changed and would have to be changed at a federal level. Uh, So do you mind, Governor, if I ask you what the holdup is? I mean, didn't we learn anything from the Enron experience? Uh, Let me just make a slight correction. Mm -hmm. Uh, The law would have to be changed, but it could be changed at the the state level. Oh, it can be. Okay. So what's holding us up? Well, they've just not gotten around to it. I guess they figure they're smart enough not to to allow the energy companies to uh, uh, manipulate us anymore. But if I were governor, I'd want to make sure the law was changed just to prevent the possibility of this situation happening again. But there's no manipulation if they sell the power to other states, right? That's legally uh, acceptable. Well, it was legally acceptable under the deregulation law that the state of California passed two mm-hmm. years before it became governor. Uh, but to protect California's interest in the governor of California, that's your job. Uh, you want to have the power to keep Silicon Valley going, uh, the Bay Area going, the Southern California, uh, Central California. And if you don't have power the state comes to a halt. So your your primary interest is making sure that all the power you generate in California remains in California. Absolutely. Now, are there any other laws that you'd like to see changed as a result of that energy crisis? Well, that's the big one. I mean, mm-hmm. we produce enough power here. We import a little bit, but we produce pretty much all we need. If we can keep what we produce here, we can satisfy the needs of our growing economy and growing population. But, uh, that's that was the big flaw. The two flaws are: make sure power produced in California stays in the California market. If for some reason we don't need it, fine. Uh, then it can be shipped somewhere else. But right now we need it. And secondly, restore to the Public Utilities Commission the authority to uh, oversee the activities of the energy companies as well as utilities, because they're both affecting the well-being the well-being of Californians. Yes, yes, that's that's absolutely true. You know, we we hear a lot about the nation and energy independence of the United States, uh, but you know, you don't hear a lot about energy independence of specific states. Um, is California? Does it, I, I kind of listening to you get the impression that California is generating enough energy to meet its own needs? More or less, mm-hmm. uh, and as long as we keep what we have. Uh, we can continue to grow, expand, and have what is currently the eighth largest economy in the world. I might add, when I was governor, we were fifth, but we're still still a very prominent uh, ec- economy uh, globally. But to do that, um, as I say, we need to retain the power that we're producing within our borders. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on a national basis, a few weeks ago, we had oil man T. Boone Pickens on the program. And according to Pickens, if we just converted 8 million 18-wheeler trucks to natural gas engines, we could eliminate up to 70 to 80 percent of the oil we buy from OPEC. And the ROI on each of these engines is about one year in terms of uh, repayment on based on fuel savings. So we, we seem to have these very simple, easy-to-implement programs like this, which could immediately make the country energy independent. So I'd like to ask you, why do you think we don't jump on these measures? Uh, what, what holds us back? I think many uh, of the trucking fleets uh, in the United States are converting to natural gas. It's in their economic interest to do that. Yes. Uh, natural gas is very plentiful in this country. We have, like... Uh, uh, between 150 and 200 years supply. Uh, I think you'll find us exporting natural gas at some point in, in the near future. So business just on uh, out of self-interest uh, is gravitating to the solution that T. Boone Pickens is uh, calling for. And I've seen him many times over the years uh, uh, push for the expansion of natural gas. I think he's 100% right. I think it's in America's interest to do that. Uh, largely because we produce it here in this country and money spent to buy it gets recirculated in America rather than importing oil from the Middle East where we send money over there that some of which ends up in the hands of terrorists and people who don't have our best intentions uh, at heart, to put it charitably. Uh, So for all those reasons, economic and national security, uh, switching 
the uh, truck fleet uh, and uh, bus fleet from uh, oil products to natural ga- American uh, uh, deposits of natural gas makes all the sense in the world. It it really does, and it's, it seems like it's a win-win-win. I mean, one, as you say, we use the money here in the United States and recirculate it. Two, it's cleaner. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a win for the environment. Uh, it brings the cost of goods down uh, because of a large part of the cost of goods in the United States is transportation, uh, and uh, and it you know it, it's more profitable to companies. So if you've got an ROI on a natural gas engine within 12 months, that would seem like everybody would be converting overnight. <laughs> yes, and many are. I mean, the uh, all credit to T Bone Pickens because he's been on this thing for a decade. It seems maybe longer. But businesses are hearing the call. They're not waiting for the government to tell them to do it. They're just doing it. And we don't really care how the conversion uh, takes place as long as uh, business trucking fleets see it in their uh, their own financial well-being uh, to um, convert from oil to natural gas. Absolutely. And and speaking about the economy, um, let's talk about deficits and taxes. Uh, there are so many cities, counties, states that are facing historic deficits, and they've cut their services to the bare bones. As a leader who faced one of the worst fiscal crises in California, as you say, it was the fifth largest economy under your tenure. Uh, w- where would you advise these mayors, governors, even members of Congress start? What do they need to do? I think just just recently there's been talk in California about uh, uh, a new proposal that Governor Brown has to establish a rainy day fund. Now, we have a rainy day fund, but this is uh, different. It said, uh, in, in good times, we will take the money that comes from capital gains decisions. In other words, um, if the stock market is roaring, you know, a lot of people sell and have big gains. If the real estate market is roaring, same thing. You can identify those revenues, and you don't allow those monies to be spent uh, for the annual operation of the state of California. They go in a rainy day fund. They can be used to pay down debt, and we have quite a big debt. Uh, um, when I left office, a whole bunch of bonds, $15 billion bonds, where the bonds were sold, called economic development bonds, but they're really to pay off in part um, a gap uh, that was created when uh, my efforts to um, uh, raise the, um, it's called the um, vehicle license fee. It really should be called the public safety fee. Mm-hmm. All the money goes directly to local sheriffs and uh, and police chiefs and prosecutors. Yes, uh, Penny State, Sacramento. So anyway, um, uh, my predecessor, my successor, eliminated that, um, and that created about a seven billion dollar hole each year, which had to be filled. So bottom line is those those um, obligations still haven't been paid off, and so the governor says, look, the money can grow to ten percent of the general fund and can be used uh, for one time capital costs to build a highway, build a building or it can be used to pay down debt, but mm-hmm. it cannot be used uh, for annual operation expenses. That's a very good uh, model that cities, counties, and the state can adopt going forward. You are the inspiration for that rainy day fund, because even when Ca- California had major surpluses, I know that you were not anxious to spend all that money. So we have to take another short break, but stay right where you are. You're listening to the Costa Report. When it comes to Pinot Noirs, there are very few winemakers more knowledgeable than Scott Caraccioli. So tell us, Scott, what makes a good Pinot Noir? I think a lot of it starts in the vineyard with having an area that can grow the Pinot Noir grape to the most optimal maturation point in the grape's lifespan. And here on the Central Coast, in the Santa Lucia Highlands specifically, we have the ability with the cool climate to have long growing days but not getting too hot with the coastal fog coming in to cool it down. And it really leads to a perfectly deep, rich, complex Pinot Noir flavor profile when starting to build your Pinot Noir. And from there, a lot of it is just adding the small little nuances of the winemaking that really express the grape in the most positive light. Absolutely. I'll tell you, once you have a Caraccioli Cellars Pinot Noir, you just want more. (laughs) (laughs) 
For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home. Not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. My name is Debbie and I'm from Aptos. About four years ago, I remodeled my house and it was professionally decorated. I wanted it to look like a magazine inside. So of course, the end was beautiful plants. But how am I going to take care of them? So I called Jungle Plant and Dale gave me a fabulous estimate. She comes in faithfully every week, waters, dusts, fertilizes, takes such great care of my indoor plants. And believe me, I have 15 of them, everything from a large ficus to beautiful orchids. She's totally professional, trustworthy. She comes in when I'm not there. I really depend on her to keep things looking great. And she's become my really good friend. She's really knowledgeable about plants, knows where to put them so that they thrive. And if something goes wrong, she replaces the plants. My plants are a big part of my home decor, and I love looking at them and feeling something alive and green. So thanks to Jungle Plant, my home is complete. So give Jungle Plant a call at 462-5806 or visit jungleplant.com. Hi, this is Ethan Behrman, a host on the ZBS Radio Network, and I'd like to introduce you to the all-new ZBSRadio.com. ZBS Radio brings you a variety of talk radio programming on subjects like health and nutrition, politics, personal finance, gardening, pet care, technology, and so much more. At ZBSRadio.com, you'll find podcasts as well as live and on-demand streams of exciting and informative talk radio programming that's available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week on your computer or mobile phone. Listen on the web using our streaming player or in your iTunes or other listening software. Also, be sure to check the app section of our website to find mobile apps that make listening to your favorite shows even easier. Check the shows page at zbsradio.com to see our current lineup of shows. New shows will be added all the time. Thank you for listening to the ZBS Radio Network. She's on the move and twice the fun. Now KSEO presents Georgia on Wednesdays and Fridays at a new time, 2 to 4 p.m. Born and raised in South Carolina, Georgia has a sweet southern charm, backed up with the tenacity of a junkyard dog. Georgia, the precious conservative voice to come along in years, will be with you every Wednesday and Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. on your Listen and Be Heard radio station, KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Gray Davis. In the earlier segment, uh, you were explaining Governor Brown's idea of a rainy day fund, revenues which could be set aside and not used for routine operations and functions, but could be used to pay down the debt. And I mentioned that uh, though you didn't call it a rainy day fund, when California had a large budget surplus, you were very cautious about not spending that too quickly. Absolutely. Um, I still think I have the record for uh, uh, veto, a governor's veto uh, of bills from his own party uh, in 2000. Because, <laughs> uh, I, you know, we have a very volatile income tax, which is the primary source of revenues. And in very good years, the money goes up dramatically for the reasons I said earlier. The stock market does well and or the real estate market does well. Uh, but then two or three years later, uh, that disappears. And so if you're counting on that for some annual expenditure every year, you're going to be very disappointed. That's why I I say we have a feast or famine budget process and a rainy day fund that takes some of that money off the top, in this case driven by capital gains, and puts it to use only to pay down debt or for capital projects, one-time expenditures. You know, makes a lot of sense. It starts to get the state back on an even course. But just to let you know how volatile... Uh, the economy was when I was governor in 2000, $13 billion more than my own finance department estimated came in the door. So we had an $85 billion budget projected. $13 13 billion more came in. The next year, 
$14 billion less came in. So it was a direct spike, straight up. And what straight. a swing that is. Usually that gets you know set, spread out over two or three years each way, going up and coming back down. Uh, so I, I knew that the good times wouldn't last. I didn't know they would disappear the next year. Uh, but I vetoed uh, so many bills that uh, uh, the legislature started complaining that I was being too hard on them. But I just knew that good times were not going to last, even though I didn't. I did think they would last for another year or so. They didn't last more than uh, 12 months. Well, I have to believe that one of the suggestions then that you would recommend to these uh, mayors and governors and members of Congress who are dealing with uh, record deficits right now and and deficits that are really running amok is to exercise restraint when there are surpluses, as you did. Absolutely. And we're going through, you know, relatively good times now. I mean, not everybody is employed, which is uh, which is terrible, because I think the most important thing a government official can do is help everyone's dream come true. And every dream begins with a job. So keeping people unemployed um, uh, or not helping them find work is really uh, terribly frustrating and a terrific burden on the on, on the individuals and on the whole economy because we have less people essentially pulling the wagon. Some people are riding it because we have to send checks to them. But um, uh, so I, mean, I just think that when good times occur, people have to understand that you know we're blessed with this money, but we cannot spend it now. We have to put it away. So there's something to draw upon when the bad times come, because they will come. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, well, you know, that's the way you personally manage your finances. Why wouldn't you expect government to do the same? Now, there's no question, we were talking about jobs, there's no question that business tax incentives have played a big role in job creation. Uh, but as you've pointed out in the past, having an educated, trained, and ready workforce is just as important as in the case of Silicon Valley. Is that right? Absolutely. We, um, I increased the research and development credit from 9 to 15 percent. Um, I think it's still the highest in the country, uh, in part because what do we do well? We are the most creative, innovative people on the planet. Part of it is just in the air. I like to say uh, when you, you're educated, uh, you want to join a company in the East Coast, or in the eastern part of the country, in California, you want to start a company. We're entrepreneurial by nature, but and that's why we have, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Intel, Oracle, Cisco, and just on and on and on, are all headquartered in California because they can find trained engineers, they can find the collaborative and creative spirit they need to come up with new products, uh, and because they're near great research universities. Uh, Alan Greenspan told me something when he was Fed chair. He said, you have 13 research universities in California, far more than any other state. Massachusetts only has seven, and no other state has more than five. Just invest in those research universities, and they will create whole new economies. And they have. All the great biotech companies have come out of UC, UC San Francisco, working with UC Santa Cruz, UC San Diego, and UC Irvine, UCLA. That, that's where the biotech hubs are in this country. Yes, but we increasingly hear news that um, that business conditions are unfavorable in California and that uh, as much as they appreciate the educated workforce, uh, when uh, it comes to expanding their businesses, they're looking for more favorable business conditions elsewhere. Is that myth or fact, do you think? I think it's a little of each. Um, we got We have great companies here that prosper and do well. We do. It is a high-tax state. There's no denying that. But I think the bigger problem to companies is uh, a regulatory burden that, in my mind, is overly cumbersome and takes years longer than most other states. And I've been preaching that uh, ever since uh, while I was in office and uh, since I left office with Governors Wilson and Dick Range. I mean, uh, I just, um, it's a small matter, but in Southern California, in my capacity as a lawyer, I represented... Uh, uh, Northgate Markets, which is a family-owned business um, uh, started by Mexican immigrants 30 years ago, and it's like a—it's almost like a Whole Foods for Mexican food. It's got a lot of fresh produce and uh, fresh fruit. Anyway, after 17 years, they got permission to open uh, in 
South Central Los, Los Angeles is a fantastic. Did, did you say 17 years? 17 years, yes, 17 years. Now, Northgate was only involved for the last five or six. There was another supermarket that was going to join. They dropped out because uh, their investors couldn't wait that long. But the, the shopping center development, Regency Centers, hung in there. And it's a spectacular, phenomenal place. I mean, the mayor, Garcetti, was there, all the local officials, uh, and it's fantastic. Um, but 17 years is ridiculous. I mean, well, what was going on in the 17 years? Oh, it's a long story, but the people who uh, sold the property to the Community Redevelopment Agency uh, when they were allowed to operate um, had second thoughts. There was 10 years of litigation. There was all kinds of environmental disputes. It, it took 17 years. And in the middle of it, by the way, the governor decided to eliminate the uh, the Community Redevelopment Agency, so these Poor people were helping us also were looking to see if they could find some other job for themselves. It was just very, very difficult. But um, I only cite that because that happened uh, uh, on Monday of, of this week. Right. But, you know, there's an example yeah, right. of a business who's, which is trying to open and could create many, many jobs. And right. and they are they're thwarted from doing that for 17 years. I mean, at a time when we need those jobs. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. Amen to that. I mean, people need the jobs. Local government and the states need the revenue. The way to do that is to get more people working. And to wait 17 years is like shooting yourself in the foot. It's ridiculous. So we do take too long. The, the regulatory thicket is, is too thick. Uh, and nobody is saying, you know, after 30 or 40 years of imposing all these new rules, that shouldn't we go back and see if we can't harmonize these and make sure they're not duplicative? and see if we can't speed up the process so we can get more people working. More people working means that people are happier uh, with themselves, making money, spending it, and the taxes they pay go to support local, state, and federal government. So it, it's a no-brainer. Uh, it, it sounds like a no-brainer, but then those are the things that we just don't seem to get on top of. I don't know why we wouldn't convene a commission with uh, people like yourself, who have worked both in uh, public service as well as representing uh, ca- cases like this in the private sector, uh, put a group of, together and see if we can't streamline some of these regulations. Uh, you know, if they're overburdening and they're preventing jobs from being formed, uh, it seems like everybody right on the right and the left could get behind uh, such an initiative to streamline uh Uh, regulations. Now we have to take our last break. We'll be back in just a moment to find out whether Gray Davis will return to political life. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry-cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. The crisis in the Ukraine is the latest global conflict to pit the United States against Vladimir Putin's Russia. While the Cold War may have ended, U.S.-Russia diplomacy is here to stay. Understanding this volatile new era is not easy. For many years, experts have been trying to explain Russia's new leadership, but cracking the inner circle has remained elusive until now. The American Program Bureau represents some of the most knowledgeable and prominent Russian insiders who are available to speak to your organization. Experts such as Mikhail Gorbachev. 
former leader of the Soviet Union and master architect of modern-day Russia. Vladimir Posner, the dean of Russian journalism. Andrei Kosarev, the first foreign minister under Boris Yeltsin. And Pavel Palashenko, chief advisor for 25 years to Gorbachev, are available to speak at your next event. No Speakers Bureau offers greater insights into how Russia impacts our economy, our world, and our lives. To schedule these esteemed leaders for your next event, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or apbspeakers.com. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. While many hormones are regulated as prescription drugs, there are several important ones that are available over the counter. Progesterone and pregnenolone are two that immediately come to mind. You can get both online and in health food stores and each provide relaxing and estrogen balancing benefits. Another important over the counter hormone is called DHEA. Bodybuilders love DHEA for its muscle building properties. DHEA is also important for supporting the health of the immune system. It can be especially helpful for fighting cancer. In one study on breast cancer prone mice, DHEA supplementation reduced tumor incidence by 50 to 100 percent. And if you're trying to lose weight, DHEA can be helpful for you too. In one study from Temple University, DHEA treated mice tended to stay thin no matter how much they ate. In a second study, middle-aged obese rats lost weight when fed DHEA supplemented food. In fact, if ever there was a hormone with lots of positive health benefits, this is the stuff. Back in the 1980s, the FDA actually banned over-the-counter sales of DHEA. These days, DHEA is readily available and reasonable amounts can be taken with rare side effects and no toxicity. Overdosing on DHEA may lead to some acne or maybe some hair loss, but you've really got to take a lot to experience these effects, which reverse upon dose reduction. With all these benefits, DHEA can be considered the quintessential hormone of wellness. Because natural DHEA levels tend to decline as we get older, supplementing with a small amount, maybe 5 to 10 milligrams a day as father time takes its toll on our bodies, is probably a good idea. Pharmacist Ben here, urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos too at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Governor Gray Davis. Now, I did a little research and discovered that you have been having a wonderful time since returning to civilian life. Did I read somewhere that you went zip lining in Puerto Rico and swam with the dolphins? I did. Uh, my wife arranged that, and uh, um, it was it was fantastic. Uh, she says, "I dare you to do this," so I had to, I had to. Accept the challenge, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. So that's all it takes is I dare you to. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's uh, been very important in my life, and uh, we were celebrating a big birthday of mine, and so we took a cruise in the Caribbean, uh, not this year but last year, and um, that's exactly we're having a lot of fun. I'm trying to picture you zip lining in Puerto Rico. <laughs> I know most people can't wrap their arms around it, but uh, <laughs> there is another side to me, and we we do enjoy. Uh, the downtime, which we didn't have much of when I was in public office. No, make no mistake, I loved every minute of it. Uh, you know, governor, lieutenant governor, controller, the legislator, chief of staff to Jerry Brown. A lot of good things happened. I just want to tell you one because it shows you how serendipity, uh, serendipitous life is. Yes. So many states had adopted an Amber Alert uh, to help children who were kidnapped, and I did as well when I was governor. But we added a feature that was remark- turned out to be remarkably successful. We had no idea how successful it would be uh, using highway electronic signs to put the name, make, and license plate of the car that uh, was kidnapping the child. Well, I asked two or three years later after I left office the Highway Patrol Commissioner how that program was working. And he says, Governor, you will not believe it. Uh, 161 children in a row have been found and safely returned to their families. Uh, Oh, my goodness. One or two have not. But, I mean, just something that you thought would be nice and helpful turned out to be a dramatic improvement, and now most other states in the country follow that lead. So that's just one example of how occasionally you can do something that is a substantial benefit to people in need. 
Well, the most important thing is um, is taking action. And not all the programs that a leader uh, sponsors or approves are going to work, but some of them, like these highway signs, uh, they produce such an outrageous uh, result that, uh, you know, and you, you really can't know. This, the human organism, we test and we learn. We put things out there. We see if they work. If they don't, then we adjust. Uh, or we change course. This is how we do things. And um, I think that um, because so much politics enters into it, uh, we start to get into a blame game when there really is no blame. They're simply experimenting, trying things. Some things will work. Some will not work. Now, this program's distributed to uh, over 5,000 radio stations across the country. And every day I receive emails and letters complaining of a lack of real leadership of instituting programs like these highway billboards. So I do have to ask you, uh, if called upon, would you consider returning to public service? You're going to have to talk to Mrs. Davis. Okay, put her on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd like to speak to Mrs. Davis. I'll never call you. (laughs) Well, obviously, there there are aspects of public service that you miss. I loved every minute, but you know what? 31 years is a big chunk of time, and I was two years in the military before that. So that's 33 years of, of public service. Uh, I'm proud of them, and I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, even the recall, I didn't like it ending that way, but, you know, three years later it was going to end anyway. My point is uh, you need time to breathe, help, be a mentor. I've been on state commissions with uh, George Schultz and Condi Rice and Willie Brown and Bob Hertzberg and I, and I've been on city commissions. We just made a report the other day the city of L.A. So I think that is a way in which I can uh, help influence public policy. And if you want to blame it on me, blame it on me. I mean, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but, but you will, uh, would, you, would you agree with me that there's a tremendous void in terms of leadership, particularly on the national level? And that's not, that's not something you've tackled yet. No, but um, I, I think you got to get by Mr. Davis first. <laughs> uh, all, all right. Well, I I had told uh, I had told a couple of people that uh, work in your office that uh, when we announced that we were going to have this interview with you, we were inundated with emails saying, "Well, you know, uh, did the recall just uh, make him feel like he didn't want to do public service?" And I said, "I don't get that impression." I don't. I think that that that's already behind, and that's already been explained. And when now you have Ted Costa and Daryl Issa all coming uh, forward and saying, "Yeah, that probably wasn't our best idea," <laughs> I I think it's all you know. I think the record has proven that that was a great mistake in the state of California, um, and and that the forces that were at play. Uh, when the deficits were being racked up, really were not anything anybody could have foreseen, nor could they have reacted any differently um, than than you did. Um, but, you know, you haven't really taken on a national challenge. Is it anything that runs by your mind? Not not really. I don't want to give you too much hope here, much as I appreciate your, your sentiment. Uh, well, how about our audience's sentiment? <laughs> We got three million people uh, listening in today. That w- I believe they would be, uh, they'd be really excited about that prospect. Seventy-one now, and my wife, uh, um, you got you have to get her on board because <laughs> she has become accustomed to this life of a little less scrutiny and uh, just the freedom to pick up and go and do it, do as we please. Uh, she probably likes to have dinner with you, and I can't blame her one bit. Well, that is all the time that we do have left. But before we say goodbye, I would like to thank you for your many decades of service to the state of California and our country. Thank you, Mr. Davis. It's my pleasure. It was great to be with you. Thank you. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you'd like to comment about my interview with Gray Davis, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'd love to hear whether in hindsight you feel that Davis got a fair deal from the voters of California 
or whether Costa, and by the way, I'm no relationship to Ted Costa, so before you start emailing me, <laughs> no relationship at all, um, whether Costa and Daryl Issa uh, exploited the public's need to blame someone, anyone, for energy pricing manipulation by Enron and the collapse of the dot-com market, which is really what it boiled down to. Was Davis a casualty of a political lynch mob, one that wanted to blame a systemic failure on one individual, and have subsequent events vindicated Governor Davis? What do you think? You can drop me a line on the contact page of our website at RebeccaCosta.com, and I hope you do. And while you're at the website, take a moment to order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because there's a special chapter in the book which talks about why we like to blame highly complex, systemic, dynamic, and chaotic problems on individuals. We, we have a long history of becoming blame-seeking missiles, and in the book I explain why that never, not one time, has cured a systemic problem like a deficit. You can throw out members of Congress, you can elect a different president or replace cabinet members, even install a charismatic governor like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it does little to alleviate the symptoms of systemic complexity. And if you really want to know why politician after politician has failed to curb deficit spending, all you have to do is pick up a copy of the Watchman's Rattle where the systemic problem is spelled out in a compelling and also a fun read. I guarantee you'll never look at our problems the same way once you read The Watchman's Rattle. So don't wait. Get your copy right now, right now while you're listening to the program. Only takes a couple of minutes and you'll be glad you did. And while you're at our website, which again is RebeccaCosta.com, be sure to check out our new bookstore where I think you'll find an interesting reading list. Uh, for years now, people have been asking me about what books I have on my nightstand. And so recently we put the, the books, which I consider to be important and enlightening, up on our bookstore page. And when you click on any book, it takes you right over to Amazon. And anything you order from Amazon, once you get to their page, triggers Amazon to make a donation to the Costa Report. And that keeps the Costa Report on the air. That's right. When you go through our bookstore page to get to Amazon, you're making a free donation. So keep excellent broadcasting on the air. When you shop at Amazon, before you click Amazon, go to RebeccaCosta.com first. Click on any book on our bookstore page and go to Amazon the long way. And do your part to fix what is wrong with the media. It costs you absolutely nothing except a couple of extra clicks on your computer. My guest next week is former chairman of the Republican National Committee, Michael Steele, who will be with us to discuss the danger the GOP faces by relying exclusively on attacking the president's policy. Opposing a solution is not the same as proposing one that's superior, and Steele wants clearly articulated program and policy choices to drive the next presidential election. Don't miss a provocative conversation with Michael Steele next week, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.